everyone, and welcome to this special Ossert 2010 conference podcast. I'm Patrick Gray. Risky Business is the official podcast of the Ossert 2010 conference, and our coverage is made possible through the generous support of Microsoft Forefront. So a big thanks to the Microsoft team. I'm slowly winding down my coverage of the Ossert uh, conference this week, so I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of the Ossert staff for their help during the conference, uh, Claire Groves and Mark McPherson in particular, and I'd also like to thank my sound recordist, Josh Bell, who put in a stellar effort, as always, in recording these talks. In this presentation, Cisco's Vice President and Chief Security Officer, John Stewart, tries to pin down where we're going to be in 2012. More devices doing more things, uh, malware embedded in video streams, all sorts of funky threats with nasty outcomes, perhaps. Um, so let's find out what he thinks. John Stewart's uh, closing address to the Ossert 2010 conference. Enjoy. I'm assuming at least half of you are hungover um, and have been probably since you got up an hour ago. Um, I'm assuming the other half are about to be hungover by the end of tonight um, because you're going to go for either the repeat performance that I've already seen some of you on YouTube that you did last night uh, or you're going to set a brand new attendance record of watches on YouTube because you want to actually hit that high, high score. Um, in the end, though, just remember, everything you do now is on video. So plausible deniability is essentially shot. Plausible deniability. So it's actually going to be an interesting theme in this discussion today. Um, and, uh, and it also talks, I want to talk to you a little bit about what the projection of what I think the future is going to be in the next couple of years. I've been doing this information security thing for a couple of decades. I still have a little bit of hair. I'm encouraged to report, though it's rapidly falling out because of what's happening today. Um, and, and what I want to talk to you in some cases about is just what the trends on information technology is projected for a couple of years from now. Because I was here a couple of years ago in 08, and I'm going to probably be here in 2012. Um, and the thinking would be, what are we going to have a conversation about in 2012? It could be about, well, did you see the YouTube video of that guy last night? Um, but there's probably more a relevant conversation about what's the security paradigm that we're going to be facing for the next few years. So here we go. Now, I think it's highly appropriate that I came up with Upside Down um, as, the, uh, as the name of this. And it's not because, of course, I'm upside down being underneath the equator here in Australia. It's because when I get to Australia, I'm reminded you guys are actually on top of the world and the rest of us aren't. Um, so I, I was absolutely reminded of that as soon as I landed uh, because I was thinking to myself, huh, you know, during the summertime, and I started talking to one of our customers yesterday about this, we're going to be releasing product X, Y, and Z. And one of my colleagues at Cisco said, no, 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 that's translated down here, that's wintertime. I said, oh, right, yeah, we're on the opposite side of the hemisphere. But I am telling you right now, I think the information security industry has flipped in the last year to be completely upside down from where it was even just a year ago. And I'll posture up the following thoughts in order to prove that, that thesis. That said, I don't want you agreeing with me necessarily just because I said it. I want you to actually challenge this, and so I'm going to leave you an open-ended invitation that at the end of this discussion today, I will answer three questions, and that's it. So the fastest you can come up with the most creative question to ask me um, and then get up and find the mic runner that'll be running around at the end. I'll, I'll answer three questions. It'll probably be the only amount of time that I'll have, and then I'll take any and all questions afterwards. But I want to challenge the way all of us are thinking today. And I want to extend it to a different place in a different way than just traditional practice of what we've been doing so far. Okay. First of all, thanks. I appreciate certainly the community, both of Ossert, for the practices and the work that they do. 
all of you and the work that you do because frankly, as long as your networks are safer, that means mine's probably got a higher probability of being safer too. So the combined work that we do here, I think, is elemental. It's also somewhat thankless half the time. Um, out of curiosity, I, I'm dying to know the answer to this question. In the last 90 days, how many of you as practitioners have been thanked by the top executive of the organization that you live in for doing the work that you do? We got one, two, three, four, four, five. Spectacular. Out of curiosity, what the heck do you do this work for anyway? <laughs> but, but you think about it, it's, it's a somewhat thankless piece of work at times, right? I mean, you're, you're consistently called the no organization. You're consistently talked about how, why in the world would I worry about this problem? It's somebody else's problem. It is tough, tough work. So if no one else gets a chance, just frankly, to thank each and every one of you as practitioners, thanks. And then what I would tell you is when you get to know each other, part of the reason I think we all come back is the fact that we're a communal interest group that just ultimately identifies with one another and the challenges that we have. And none of the, essentially everybody outside these walls, potentially including spouses, even understands us whatsoever. Um, talking about computer security to my dad or my wife is, is approximately impossible. Um, and it's because this is not a natural subject. Here's the question I want you to ponder for the rest. So there's another conference going on, let's say, right now. And that conference is a whole series of people who are going, you know what? I think the Austerit conference is on right now. That means all the security professionals of all these companies are actually not paying attention to their networks at the moment. So why don't we take advantage of that opportunity? Is that what they're thinking? Who is your adversary? Might be an interesting question to ask yourself, too. Who exactly are you facing? Who exactly are you trying to defend an infrastructure from? Do you know? Or do you even care? Is it just protecting infrastructure or actually finding out who did it? Is it identifying that the user community inside your company is more of a pain in the neck? Or is it a hacking community outside of your company that's more of a pain in the neck? Is it another company in this room that's been attacking your network that you'd like to talk to as a sort of a sidebar conversation after this dialogue this afternoon? Anybody wants to know that? I'm sure there's a LinkedIn version of that, which is, could I just find somebody from such and such a company because I'd like to talk to them about attacking my network? But there is an elemental piece of this. Are we practicing in a way that's intending to think about this, or are we just practicing? If you don't think about a game of chess, a game of football, a game of, well, sorry, a game of soccer, a game of football, a game of Australian rules football, rugby, cricket, which I still don't understand, if you don't think through what your adversary is thinking through, then essentially how do you know you're going to be able to protect against it? It's an interesting question. And I don't think we do enough of this. I think we do not pay attention enough to what is the motivation behind what it is we're trying to stop. So let me give you some thoughts. Here are the big changes. Okay. Look at this trend now. Now we've been visualizing, we've got what's called the Visual Data Index, and essentially we've been visualizing at Cisco just how much traffic is being transited on networks over time. If you look, look at just today, there are 4.8 billion DVD equivalents transiting the internet a month. Now. Today. And our projection in three years, think about the two-year conversation in 2012 and beyond, we're going to be tripling that. And that's the total amount of content that, in a sense, if you think about most of our strategies, is going to be all about how do we inspect it to find out what malware is in it. Now, that's our traditional practice. How do we analyze that much traffic in order to find the malware? 
That's the current practice. That's what we would currently start off and ask ourselves a question about. So in two years' time, if your network isn't ready for that kind of traffic in tripling what it is doing today, just in total quantity, are you going to be able to sustain the current operational security that you have in your infrastructure today right now? So that's what you have to plan for two years from now, three years from now. If you can't contemplate that, then the strategy and the path that you're on possibly has got a gap, just purely in data volume alone. Now imagine this one. So most of my protection systems are based on signatures. The ability to see traffic, the ability to find traffic, the ability to block traffic, all very true. Now that's useful when the traffic is not video. It is not as easy when the traffic is video. And our projections would tell you that the amount of traffic out of that tripling in the next couple of years is going statistically and up to the right with video. Now, video presents some very fascinating security problems. The initial one I will tell you is probably just the, is my camera on or off? If you guys have ever been caught in those circumstances, I don't want to know. But the next set of scenarios that are problematic about this are that video does not have signatures in the traditional way. So how do you do an IDS for video streams? How do you do access lists for video streams? There really isn't that functional equivalent. And yet business video and consumer video is, is up and to the right from a statistical uh, amount of the total traffic involved. And so you end up having to think about the scenario of what exactly am I going to be able to protect against if I've now got video as the majority of the traffic on my network versus just utilitarian or creative use. We've also done ourselves an interesting disservice in video and another version of this, which is called encryption, which is we've successfully said encryption's a great idea, except now that we're seeing users take encryption to heart, now we can't see the traffic to find out if, in fact, it's bad. Somewhat problematic. It's a good and a bad. Your strategy has got to think that through. Because if video is going to be part of your nascent today, it's going to be part of your common practice in two years. In fact, it's quite possible, maybe Osert's really willing to take a leap, we'll just have a massive video conference where all of us are going to be sitting in our own offices. Probably not, because the drinking wouldn't be nearly as much fun. But remember, you will be on video, so at least we'll know what you're drinking. Um, and, and, and you think about that from a strategy standpoint. How are you going to protect against a video stream that's got encapsulated malware? That's a much different problem than what we have today versus email with PDF attachments. Now, story number one. I always think it's appropriate to make you guys realize that if you've got people like I've got in my company, it's kind of a funny thing to watch. For example, I got a call about six weeks ago, personal call on my cell phone, and said, John, I'm such and such an employee at Cisco. I wanted to let you know that I have a personally owned device. I've been using it at, at, at Cisco. I know we allow that. That's good. And I said, yep, that's terrific. I'm glad to hear from you. What is it you were looking for? And he goes, well, because you've trained me so well, I wanted to make sure that when I got a new computer, nobody got access to my information from the old computer. I said, that's brilliant. I'm glad to hear that. Why are you calling me? And he said, well, to ensure that this was the case, I drove over my old computer. True story. Drove over my old computer. I said, well, that was an interesting way to take that step in order to protect the company. I don't think that was probably in the policy, which was you had to drive over your computer. And he goes, this was his question. This is why he called. Where do I send the hard drive? 
And I asked, what do you mean, where do you send the hard drive? He goes, no, I pulled the hard drive out first, and I drove over the computer, and I need to know where to send the hard drive. Don't know if the security awareness program knows how to handle him, but I will tell you, I wonder if we've made progress or not. If video is going to be the next generation concern, and PDF files are still something that people are willing to double-click on, we've got a strategy gap for the next couple of years. And that's the reason for that story. Now look at this one. So today, for all studies that we've been able to determine, there's approximately five unique going to 40 unique this year devices per person on the planet. Just five. I bet you most of you, if you're as geeky as the rest of us, have five of your own with you. <laughs> 140 per person on the planet within three years if we predicted it right. 140 per... And by the way, they're all going to be designed very securely because this conference says everything with security. I'm sure it's going to be fine. 140 per person. So, and let's assume that I'm wrong. Let's assume it's 100 per person. Let's assume it's 50 per person. Either way, that's an 8, 10, or 20, or 30 order of magnitude more devices that are on the net or some network of some kind than there are today. Heterogeneity of these devices is a foregone conclusion in my mind. I believe consumerization of IT has already occurred, and computers are being selected by individuals and not by companies. Devices on the, on the hip, devices as your computing device, Devices is your phone, devices your Bluetooth handset, whatever it is, people are making choices, you are too, I'm sure, saying this is what I need, and therefore I will use it. 140. That's a lot. That is a lot. And part of the reason I think that's important to remember is because if the traffic is tripling and video is in fact becoming the majority of the killer app that's essentially going to be a whole bunch of traffic on networks, and we've got more devices that we are trying to protect or protecting ourselves from, then this is another two-year strategy we've got to be prepared for to handle. And if you don't actually have the strategy that says, oh, I know how to deal with this problem, I just wanted to give you an early warning. I think this is what's going to be happening. Hmm. If this doesn't say, I've got an app for that, I don't know what does. <laughs> Current projections on this? are a 10x increase in the number of apps being developed. Now, I don't know how long of you, I mean, many of you look like, you know, frankly like me, we're all getting a little gray, sorry. Um, but you remember when you wouldn't download a binary to save your life, it was give me the source code and I'm gonna compile it myself, thank you very much. Now it's like, what the heck is source code? You know, I need, why not give me the binary? 10x order of magnitude on applications alone. Now, this means that we're not selecting consumerization or consumer devices either, but we're not selecting the software that they're using either. And, and in many cases, I bet you you're doing this too. You're downloading your own software because that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to use this particular app. I actually saw the most unusual application I've seen yet, which is launching cows into space, and you can run it on your iPhone. Now, there's a couple of questions I have in this one, and if anybody has it, I'm sure you're going to fully be willing to raise your hand right now that you actually bought this application. Because the first question I had was, you bought the application? And the second question was, who had time to write the application? Because I want to talk to that person too. Um, but the proliferation of applications is, is an, almost like a complex magnitudinal issue because software is being written by unknown authors. 
and software is being used by every user. And the selection of new applications and the selection of new software essentially is something I think which each one of us concerns ourselves about because what else is the software doing besides launching cows into space? I would tell you that probably the other thing it's doing is wasting people's time. Um, but it is an interesting dilemma because applications are being developed by non-IT even more than they're being developed by IT in utilitarian use. So where does this all yield? Well, this yields us to this. So again, even if I'm wrong, I think, well, I'll tell you what. Let me ask, as opposed to I think, I, I shouldn't make assumptions like that. How many of you believe that the number of vulnerabilities and the number of software exploits are going down in the next two years? Okay, well, that's fairly encouraging. Can I assume that by proxy of that interpretation, all of you are think it's going up? I would say probably yes. So the good news is we're going to have a conference in two years. Um, the bad news is that statistical number is fairly significant. And again, even if I am wrong, and this is a combination of Cisco and Symantec working together and trying to project kind of what could happen, safe to say the work that we are trying to do is going to get harder because the sheer number of scenarios that we face is statistically going up. Now, question. For all of you, how many of your budgets are going up at the same time? Because, by the way, anybody that raises their hand, you're going to get a whole bunch of requests to, can I come work for you? Okay, so this is another dilemma that we're currently facing, which is we've essentially got static money to affect a big problem that's growing, which is changing. So what's the course correction that has to happen now? Because if it doesn't happen now, we're not going to make it essentially as successfully into the future. We used to be dealing with people to people. Now we're dealing with machines to machines. Now we're dealing with machines that interact with people that interact with machines. So the concept about what we used to face and how we are dealing with asynchronous communication and how we could do content inspection has moved to where now the devices are either going to talk to each other in very interesting ways or they're going to be devices we've never even seen. I now have a scenario where I can tell you that it seems as if if you're building something, you almost have to have wireless or Ethernet or Bluetooth on it or there's no point in building it. That's what most vendors are starting to come to the conclusion for consumer devices. And they're starting to come to that conclusion for enterprise devices. Now, personally, I don't really think the Coke machine needs an Ethernet address. But it was already done once, and now it's becoming a mainstream item. And the reason the Coke machine now has an IP address is because it's telling its inventory to the Coke supplier so that they know if they actually have to come out and put new Coke in the Coke machine. Okay, so now the Coke machine is an enemy towards my computer. This is different than anything we've ever faced. And I think in that sense, if we're going to be here for two years, we're going to have to know exactly where to go from here. Let me tell you the current state. My opinion. My opinion would be, this is in, we're spending an incredible amount of energy in order to protect devices, and yet it's fairly trivial to circumvent the protection controls. For example, and I still can do this, the number of people that will still statistically double-click on an attachment, no matter who it came from, is still extremely high. The number of people that will pick up a USB device on the, on the floor, on the vendor floor right now, is still statistically very high. Now, who knows exactly what's either in that PDF or what's on that USB device? So I actually said, okay, let's test the awareness training against efficacy. So in one day, we took one of the offices at Cisco and said, here's what you have to worry about. Here are all the things you shouldn't do. Be cautious. Thank you very much. Does everybody understand what we said? And they went, nod, nod, nod. The next day, we sent them PDF files, and we dropped USB keys into the parking lot. 
Needless to say, we found a number of USB keys suddenly plugged into the computers, and we found a number of PDF files double-clicked upon. Most people cannot fathom what you do. And so the idea that the strategy is going to rely on the end user, uh-uh, can't. In my opinion, won't. Won't be successful. The idea that it's going to rely on the endpoint quite possibly is not going to be either. And I'm not just saying that because I work at Cisco. I actually am of the opinion now that in order to protect systems, we're going to have to embed security controls in different places than we traditionally have. And it's because the endpoints are rapidly being selected by users, the applications are being downloaded by individuals and we don't know what they are, the proliferation of content's moving very quickly, the video streams are actually being injected onto the network, and ultimately it comes down to the idea that users are overwhelmed by security. We're overwhelming them, successfully succeeded, I don't think we're going to actually change that paradigm anytime soon. Now, I'd be curious, does anybody disagree with that? Do we actually believe we can train every user, or most users even, to know what you know and to be as worried as you are? And I didn't think so. It's not necessarily a bad idea to try. But what I will tell you, the next scenario that I believe the current state is, is complexity. We built systems. Most IT organizations don't even know exactly how those systems work anymore. They just work. And as long as they don't go down, everything's good. And as soon as they go down, somebody goes, does anybody know how that works? And the question is, no, I think that guy left. Does anybody know where he put his documentation? The answer is, no, I don't think he documented it. Okay, does anybody know what we should do next? Most people end up running to update their resumes. Um, the, the elemental issue around complexity is we've created a significant amount of this because we've built systems we haven't necessarily done architecture at all. And this is a current discussion I think many of you are probably having is, you know, what exactly are we trying to protect? What's the highest value asset? How is it built? How is it designed? What is this system, you know, designed to protect? And, and essentially this is the deal, is complexity has now become our enemy. It is really easy to get into complex environments, especially if you don't know what that complex environment is, and I do. So reconnaissance on networks right now is a very, you know, it's a, it's a pretty common thing. I'm studying your network in order to get into it, and the goal is, frankly, if you don't know it, I'm going to learn it. So if I'm going to make you feel better during the course of this talk, as opposed to feel worse, which I probably started doing at the beginning of it, let me give you another element. So I asked the question when I got back to Cisco about eight years ago. I said, well, how many devices are we trying to protect again, you know, protect overall? The answer was, I don't know, it's you know, 65, 70,000 devices. Okay. How many are in the data center and how many are critically important? Well, look at this single source of truth that we have for our company. That's where it all is. We now know what we're supposed to protect. I said, huh. So these IT systems, we know all of them. Yes. Anybody use Qualys? Yeah, see a lot of heads. Um, so I used Qualys too. I found 1,800 computers in our data center that nobody knew what they did. Hmm. Now, the initial reaction was, turn them all off. Somebody bright said, does anybody know what would happen if we did that? Nobody did. Nobody had a clue. Somebody actually came up with a brilliant idea to call it a green initiative. We could turn off 1,800 computers, use less power, and it would be called green. I thought that was fairly creative. But, but the thought that you don't have situational understanding is elemental to this. If you don't know, in fact, what's in your infrastructure, and I didn't in some cases, um, then how in the world are you going to be able to protect it? And that's where that complexity shows up. 
our practices are static. We know exactly what the playbook of response is. My IT team, their bonuses, guess what the number one factor on the IT operations team is on their bonus? What are they paid for? Availability. Guess what I love if I'm trying to attack your infrastructure and I can't figure out exactly how to get the software installed silently? Huh, I put it and get you to reboot the computer because your availability number is being affected. So I get you to install the software for me. And this is not an uncommon practice. Now, again, trying to make you feel better, this is my network. We call this the bug splat. Does it look a little bit like that? And actually, in Australia, you guys have got much bigger bugs than I actually write around with. But this is 40,000 layer two and layer three devices put into a modeling system offline, and then it, was, it connected the dots. It said, here's what talks to what, and it created this bug splat. And we looked at that and said, well, actually, our first reaction was we're screwed, but our, our second reaction was, um, huh. That's really complex. And we didn't even know the configuration, you know, at a baseline level, are they all securely configured? Well, the answer is probably not. Um, but the really surprising part was, what is that little thing off in the upper right-hand corner? And what are all those things at the bottom? Natural question, right? Well, those are all layer two and layer three devices that apparently we manage, but we don't have the foggiest idea how we get to them. They were called snowflakes. That's what I called them. I called them snowflakes. Snowflakes sounded a lot better than, uh-oh. <laughs> so we had gaps in our knowledge. We, we actually had so much complexity, we didn't know exactly what we had anymore. And those little devices meant there are other little devices out there that we probably should be knowing exist. But we don't know configurations are, and therefore we don't even know if we're managing them. So that's where this started. And, and again, this is data. It's not necessarily information except for to suggest that there is data that is missing because I don't have a, a full situational understanding of what the picture of the operation of the company is. I don't know at what point it gets complex, but I can tell you 170,000 hosts is probably complex. 120,000 of which are Windows, 50,000 of which, of course, are some sort of Linux variant or, or Solaris variant, and then there's all the IP phones and all the other IP addresses. But this is kind of what I'm thinking through and how I actually am studying what our network is. And this is the amount of, uh, amount of um, uh, hosts that are sitting on our network. This is after tuning. This is after like we remove the noise, we're getting two million IDS real events a day against the external infrastructure. I handed that over to my engineering team and said, don't you think that's a little much? And they said, none of that's about normal. <laughs> well, good. I can analyze every one of those two million, uh, I'm sure, every single day. And you know, part of the reason I put that up there is because when it's overwhelming, part of what my team would tell you is, is IDS effective? And the answer would be only if you show the statistic, not necessarily if you say, are we doing enough with it? Because there's too much to do something with. I mentioned this. Go figure. We have a few routers in our network. I suppose that's no big surprise. Sorry for the Juniper people in the room. And then there's this one. And I actually presented this in 08. Um, I've talked about it for about five years, and I'm going to suggest to it really loudly right now. Traditional practice of what we're doing in information security is a commonly held belief is the right thing to do is failing. It is failing very, very quickly. It failed, frankly, with port 80. 
Firewalls, port 80, hmm. Uh, then it failed with patches are coming out after the exploits are coming out. Then it failed with, huh, the malware that's being generated so statistically quick, I can't keep the virus signature DAT files up to date because, in fact, they're coming out and showing up in my network before I actually ever saw a DAT file. We still rely on these the most. Perimeter, patching, and AV are the most common three tuplet-based effective systems we rely on today. We can't keep this up. Part of the reason we can't keep it up is because web security is having its day. So the data you're seeing here, uh, if, uh, if you're not doing malware detection based on web traffic, do it now. Really, really do it now. The data you're seeing here is, is actually um, one building, believe it or not. It was one building in my campus infrastructure in which we put up a web proxy looking for malware. And that hit, within a short period of time, 41,000 malware pieces just from normalized traffic. Now, over the course of a month, and you can see it, essentially we're getting 500K transactions per hour on this one building. And what it told me was, okay, so essentially malware delivery via the web is definitely there, but it's much more statistically common than I guessed it would be for my user community. And this is a different delivery vehicle. This is where the combination of the devices proliferating and the combination of the use on the web essentially has created a brand new way to get to you. And it's not signature-based, and it's not virus dat file-based. It's endpoint-based via the browser. This is a lot. And we don't talk about this enough, frankly. We still do, we're talking about malware. We're not talking about delivery vehicles. And the strategy's got to account for the delivery vehicle. It used to be email, still is, but it's also via the web. And in the absence of having this kind of detection, I would have never known this. But I study this stuff, and by that I mean the company studies this stuff, and so does my team, because now we know what the aggressive technique to get access to our users is. It's via the web. Now, viruses and spam and all that other stuff and social engineering is still going to be there, but this is much more common. Okay. So rewinding the tape. I've given you a sense a little bit of what the statistics of my current operation are, what the projection in the next couple of years is going to be and how we see it, let me talk about a little bit of the hard work that's going to start now. I put up all that data for a reason. The reason I put it up there is because I think it actually helps guide decisions versus the emotion of it all. I also put it up there because it, it gives you some insight into the complexity of operations you probably feel too, but I also am currently enjoying. Now give me the next couple of hops on this one. Data analysis, I think, is, is exactly where the information security industry is going. I think this is the best way for us to understand the problem space that we're facing and fix it. Without it, I don't think we understand what we're doing necessarily or how effective we've got it going. Part of that is asking the right questions. The right questions are these, to me. I actually ask my team on a regular basis what are we doing, how effective is it, and is it working? So when I ask them, does the awareness program account for a guy driving over his car, and they go, no, then I'm not terribly surprised, but the question is still the elemental one. Are we doing the right things? The second question is, this best practices argument is dead. I'm tired of having the conversation, including from my own company, about best practices. It's effective practices. Are they working? Now, what does that ask for? It actually asks for measurement and metrics. Can you actually prove something is effective? How effective is it? Is it effective enough? This requires measurement. 
This is not easy for us to do, but yet we've got to pull it off, okay? Third question is, huh, what do I not know? When I was asking questions about the snowflakes and the like, saying, what's my router topology look like? It was, I didn't know what a router topology looked like. So it hit me that if we don't know that, we're probably going to have a heck of a time protecting it. When you ask that kind of data, you end up getting the right answers. At least you get semi-complete answers, and then you can actually build upon them. And then the first question is, what are you shamelessly copying with one, from one another? What are you shamelessly copying from one another? So I got to tell you, I got a list of problems I'm trying to fix at Cisco. And if it turns out you've actually fixed one of them, I'm copying yours if you'll let me. Because the speed at which I've got to fix problems has overcome the ability to do it ourselves. And we talk about this about exchanges and information exchanges and teachings and the like. But really, ask yourself the question, when's the last time you literally copied somebody else's practice and put it into your own organization? And then do it twice as much, provided it's not zero, <laughs> twice as much over the next two years. We've got to get to the point where the protection of our environments is actually combined. That's a little different practice than what we do today. Here are my answers to this. I'm going from manual to automated, from borders to everywhere, and from unknown to known. Now, it sounds kind of elemental, but it is my strategy to handle these next couple of years. This is where I take this and go forward. Now, the issue with this, unfortunately, is this. My best practices, quote unquote, or my most effective practices, or even more importantly, my most common practices, are border and endpoint. It's not going to scale. It's not going to stand up. Not for the next couple of years. The mushy middle is the problem. Application service delivery, data security, and network and systems management. These are the three things I've got to get really good at in the next couple of years. Because it turns out that's where the real work is. Here's what it turns into for me. Identity management in and of itself, I think, is a very difficult topic on the net. But I got to tell you, part of the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I'm tired of playing defense. I'm tired of playing defense against people I don't know. I'm tired of uh, playing against uh, you know, infrastructure that I don't understand or I don't see. And I'm most assuredly tired of the conversation that said, huh, I didn't, you know, no one takes full responsibility over what they did. To give you a sense of responsibility, at least in my mind, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to know every device on my network with 802.1x. I'm going to know every traffic flow because I'm going to record it and analyze it from a source address destination path. I'm going to have all the egress traffic. I'm going to know um, the sort of the, the middle part of that, which is what services are we actually running and how do they tie down to the physical infrastructure. And I'm going to start getting to the point where data goes back into the data center. This is my, what my work is for these next couple of years. Because in the absence of that work, we don't feel like we're going to be able to succeed. These are the harder parts. How many of you, I mean, how many, I bet you at least a couple of conferences, I might have even said it myself, have you actually walked through and went, huh, you know what we should do? We should have really good identity management, we should know all the hosts on our network, and we should put network commission control, and we should have 802.1x. I'm curious, how many of your networks are fully 802.1x enabled? Hmm. Yeah, it's, I, and I can't put my hand up either. So essentially, we've got the wireless side working, but we don't have the wired side working for identity and authentic, uh, authentication and access. And this is the work that's got to happen in order for us to protect ourselves. It's the hard work. What does this translate into? It translates into my team doing the following things. I'm not going to go through each and every one of them. It is, however, what work has to be done today. I can't be doing IDS patching 
antivirus to protect my go forward. I've got to be thinking, okay, that's good, got to keep them running, but now I've got to get to the point where I go, identity management, data governance, and services management. What is the most important service that the company is running? How do I know it's working correctly? Who's using it? Who attacked me? How do I tell the law enforcement teams who it was? And then how do I actually go and eliminate, or at least contain, that problem? Okay, I said I'd give you time for three questions. I have one more question of you. How many of you were here two years ago at this conference? So a lot. How many of you feel better about what is happening today? And by the way, those that raise their hand, everyone's gonna ask what drugs you're on. But that, no, all kidding aside, I'm encouraged that one person is. How many of you feel that the strategy that you've got and the work that you're doing now is going to make you feel better in two years? Good. That's a much better number. And it's actually the right, I think that's the more correct question. So the last question I guess I, I would probably just peel into that final one to you is, how many of your data centers have been infected in the last 90 days have been touched by some sort of malware attack or, or successful something? <laughs> How many of you are willing to admit it? <laughs> I'll put my hand up. We got two. Because I've seen it in our data centers as well. Here's how we help each other. So I'm always willing to leave something behind. The something that I'm gonna leave behind is this. Every practice that we have Every work and piece of work that we've deployed, all the technology that we've ever used is on that website. Every single bit of my teams. What I need from you, and I ask of you, is this. Don't let this conference in two years be a conference in which we say to ourselves, if we had only started something two years ago, we would be better off than we are. This is the place in which we have to change. You've actually, in my opinion, and so do I, have got an opportunity. Security's gotten back in vogue. It's very interesting, and it's time to capitalize on that work. It also means the hard work going uphill is the time that start is now. I've seen every part of the conference this week, and it was a successful one. Information sharing is up to a high and to the right. Practices sharing are high and to the right. People are uh, absolutely interacting in ways that I've never, ever seen, including from different companies, different countries, and, 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 uh, and different practices. That's high and to the right. I want to have the conversation in a couple of years where I ask the question, how many of you are feeling good about what's going on? And you start raising your hands. So I put that challenge to you. Okay. I said I'd leave a couple of minutes. I still have a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to get the hook. I'll leave you for three questions. Do you have three? Do you have one question? Do you have two questions? Do you have three questions? See, the more you don't ask, the more I will. Sir, I think we're actually going to get mic runners so that somebody can hear it. Very simple. Do we need congressional legislation on the IT industry to make this happen like a Rockefeller snowbill? Great question. So, I don't know that that's precisely the answer. And the reason I'm not so convinced of it is because most legislation has this tendency to be very stagnant, and so it can't react fast enough. On the other hand, it would be awfully good 
awfully good, I think, if people and organizations and systems are held accountable in ways that essentially says for the reasonable, best, reasonable practice, they either did or did not do what they were supposed to. Here's my answer. I think it might be much more interesting if the executives of the company have to sign off that they knowingly understand and believe in reasonable practice that the security controls in their business are up to what they expect. I meant the industry, like Toyota and Fox. Yeah, like Toyota and Fox. Yeah. So, but what I'm telling you is the, the elements of regulation, in other words, do you need controls in a place that essentially forces organizations to do things? I'm a little nervous about what they would try to force. On the other hand, what's really amazing is if your executives say, I hereby attest and believe that everything's fine, they really ask a lot more questions. Like, are we fine? <laughs> and that's, that, you know, if, it, if nothing else, I haven't enjoyed a lot about Sarbanes-Oxley, but that alone I've enjoyed. So that would be my initial response on that one, probably my elemental one. Thanks for the question. Come on, you're not that tired. You referred to earlier the question, what are, what are our adversaries thinking? Yeah. They're human beings too. All of IT is only relevant to human beings. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time. And human beings are complex. You're dealing with psychology. You know, that's why it's very difficult with practices for you know, end users to be safe because as soon as you add any complexity or you start interfering with what they want to do, you start messing around with psychology and it just gets really, really messy. As much as um, I can see what you're trying to say about not involving the endpoint, ultimately, if you don't, and by endpoint I mean a human person mm -hmm. with a mind and a heart that you know is attracted to iPads and iPhones because they make them feel warm and fuzzy, if you if you don't include the endpoint, the human person, you can never succeed. I completely and, agree. And that also includes what you referred to earlier, those with the intention. So our, our adversaries, why do they have those intentions? What can we do about it, if anything? So it's a, it's a, I'm glad you actually brought that up. So when I said don't rely, it could be misinterpreted as don't include. Didn't want to. What I'm suggesting is you can't rely on, on end users completely. That was really what the essence of my point was. Sorry if it was misconstrued as don't include them at all. I can't write off my community. Some days I'd like to, but I can't. Um, but no, that was not intended to be anything other than that. So this gets to the, the, the point that you asked, or point that you made just last, which was how do we actually disrupt the reason that this is occurring? The reason that most of this is occurring is it's highly profitable and the consequences are not in concert with the activity itself. In other words, I can get away with it. I seem to remember being a young kid and anything I could get away with, I typically tried. That which I couldn't get away with, I only typically tried once. That which I did get away with, I tried twice, and then unfortunately I learned that I, my parents were a lot smarter than I and they would typically catch on. But that's what, in fact, the problem is. The consequence of trying to take intellectual property, copy it, or steal money out of organizations is not, in fact, high to actually doing the activity itself. So that, that to me is the reason that people and users and communities have joined towards stealing things is because they can. Um, now, the, the subtle point I would put to there is this. If you don't know or work with the local uh, Australian Federal Police or otherwise and talk to them about what you're facing and seeing and the like, you're missing an opportunity. Australia is taking some huge steps 
with the combination of the security NOS down in Canberra, some of the outreach programs on getting data. That's how we can inform the decisions, frankly, to the executive leadership, the legislative, legislative leadership, and the like. So thanks a lot for bringing that point up. Last question, and then I've got to get off stage or they'll kill me. Or you will, because I think there's a 15-minute break. <laughs> you talked about... Um... You talked about complexity and increasing complexity and the challenge this is for us. Um, climate scientists talk about tipping points. Do you think that it, with increasing complexity, taking the factors of the complexity itself, the resources we have and the threats, that there could be a point at which we could cease to be able to effectively secure our environments? Now, that's a great question too. Thank you. Um, can we actually get to a point where the complexity or the overall uh, infrastructure involvement and the like is so big that we can't secure it? Um, so at the moment, we can't fully secure it anyway. So let, if we start from that premise, you can't fully secure it right now. And that's not necessarily only a complexity argument. It's just you can't secure things completely. Um, I would tell you this, though. How do you use it to your advantage might be the next question. So biodiversity systems in that same construct of climate change actually help so having lots of stuff actually makes it survive better because it's got heterogeneity and it's got a whole bunch of systems and it survives in that respect. So my belief, it's actually that. I also do believe that we will not fully solve this industry. What we have to do is contain it. We've got to keep it in its cage. We can't let it break out. That, to me, is where I think we're at a, we're at a flirtation point where the amount of malware, the amount of you know, organized criminal elements, the work against um, attacking infrastructure might get out of its cage. And that's my personal obligation to you is I don't plan on letting it. Thank you very much for taking a couple of minutes. Great conference. Thanks again for the invitation to come back. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great. Thank you so much.